You are listening to Mining Stock Education, where you'll learn from the top leaders in the natural resource sector and uncover quality mining investment opportunities. You can see in this market, the best thing about it is you shouldn't be in any rush. Um, let the market come to you. The, obviously, you know, the the everything that needs to be there, the sentiment is not there, um, but I think it will be. Um, but take advantage of this time where you can just pick off the best of the best, do your research, understand the companies, um, and just be methodical about it. I'm Bill Powers. It's Mining Stock Education. Thanks for tuning back in. Well, last week was the mining world's biggest annual conference historically, which is the PDAC conference in Toronto. Typically, it is in the first week of March every year, but this week, uh, this year, it was in June. Next year, the the event planners are planning to have it in March, but uh, it was in June. I was not able to go. That's the first time I wasn't able to go since 2016. But my friend over at juniorstockreview.com, Brian Lenny, was there. So Brian, what was the general vibe of PDAC? Can you give us some feedback, you know, being on the floor, sentiment amidst uh, investors as well as issuers? Sure. Thank you for having me, Bill. Um, it was interesting, I'll have to say the least. Uh, the first day, uh, so there was two conferences going at the same time, and or back to back, and I was at both of them. And uh, I had got my pass on the Sunday as I was I was downtown, anyways. And uh, that's important because on the first day, Monday morning, I'm walking across the Sky Bridge to go uh, down into the convention center, and they had police officers at the door, and I, I've never seen this before. And uh, literally, he was shooing people away to go back to the front of the building to go in the front doors. And I had my, my pass and I, 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 he let me in. And I was like, thank you. What's going on? I go downstairs and we start going down the elevator and then you get a good picture of what's going on. There's a huge lineup. Um, there's multiple levels for those that have been to the convention center. And uh, the main sign is on the 700 level. And it was backed up all the way out outside, almost down to the road. And I've never seen anything like that. And so I was actually quite excited and thought, you know what, this is maybe a lot better than I thought. And overall, it was very good. Um, but I think that was sort of an anomaly into what I thought was going to be, you know, you, you know, standing room only in the down the rows of, of companies. Um, so it was, it was definitely not the best attended PDAC that I've been to. Um, but it was, it was, it was, pretty good. Uh, on the investor side, I think it's kind of what you would, you would think that there's a lot of people with skepticism on, you know, what's going on in the market. Last week was also the Fed announcement week. And I think there was a lot of trepidation um, in, in terms of what was going to happen with that and how it's going to affect the market. You know, as we saw, it was it's almost like a non-event. And I guess most people or the market had you know, price that in on the Monday. And so when the announcement happened on Wednesday, there was really nothing we've seen. And we've seen somewhat of a level market to the end of the week. Um, and so that, that was kind of the what I what I heard from most investors. Um, on the issuer side, um, I think that, you know, it's it's people are pretty disappointed with with what what's out there and, and the people they were kind of having come to their booth um you know a lot of suppliers and people trying to pitch you know buy this or buy that rather than hungry investors looking for the next best investment um but that's not everybody like there was some people that there was definitely investors out on the floor and i think with certain companies got it got the most attraction uh uranium company booths uh, you know seem to be particular particularly busy and um and that's, that's just one thing that I noticed going up and down the aisles. 
What was the attendance? Did they announce how many people attended? Yeah, I believe it was 17,000, which is... That's less. That's 13,000 less than normal, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And that's what kind of was the the weird thing. Um, And also there's a North and a South building. And for those that hadn't been there before, the North building was primarily... They did presentations down in the the basement floor. And then they had like a a trade floor. So it's all kinds of suppliers to the mining companies. That wasn't there. They're still doing presentations in the basement, but that whole North building floor... Uh, was vacant. And then the main South building, uh, I guess it would be on the what, the 500 level, maybe. I'm trying to think how many levels down it is. Where they the investors exchange, um, they had it all open up. So the suppliers and where the kind of provinces and countries, uh, you know, show their wares, um, that was all open. And they had a huge cafeteria part. So my thinking is that it was a lot smaller <laughs> than it was. And, you know, what we saw on the first day was kind of an anomaly. And really, it, it does reflect what's going on in the market, and um, and which is not a bad thing, honestly. Again, the whole scheme of things, you need to hit bottoms before you can go back up. And uh, so, you know, it was really productive for me. And But on the market on a whole, it's very reflective of what's going on. In the 13,000 people that weren't there relative to previous conferences, were those mostly retail, would you say, in your guesstimation? Yeah, in my view, it was. Because I can remember you know, it's just depending on the year, you know, 2016 was a good year. Um, the floor was much busier. Like you couldn't walk down the center of, of any of the aisles and not run into somebody. And I would say, more, especially on the Tuesday or Wednesday, it was, it was more so, you know, you had a clear path to go down. And again, it depended where you were. Like, I think that's, again, characteristic of, you know, bear markets or, or bottoms where certain companies are the ones that attract the, the people or the investors. And the periphery have a much harder time uh, catching a bid, you know, and catching a, an investor's attention. And uh, so it's very reflective of what's going on. And and again, I like it was very productive from my point of view. Um, but I guess it depends on on what you were looking for, Brian. So uh, one of the things that I've advised uh, my listeners to do, if they want to get serious about junior mining stocks, you have to go to these conferences. You have to meet people. You have to go booth to booth and just talk to people, see what they say, listen to how they present their companies, uh, you know, get people's emails, contact information for future due diligence, things like this. You mentioned the conference was useful to you. Now, now you're obviously a little, you're not a novice retail investor, but you're a private investor nonetheless. So how was this conference like specifically, what did you get out of it? If you could uh, share from uh, the learning of my listeners. Sure. So, you know, we've been doing Zoom meetings for the last two years, or I have, and this is the first in person. And, you know, they're very efficient. You can meet a lot of different companies. Uh, you hear the story. It's, it's kind of like speed dating, right? Like you, you've got 15 or 20 minutes with each company and you can go through and you can really narrow down quite quickly, but you lose that, personal touch and you your conversations go different places when you're not you don't have a 20 minute time span um, you can learn more about those issues about the people themselves and other tidbits of what's going on with their exploration program you know more color on the situation and so for me that's it, it just brought home to how much I, I miss that and how much I'm missing um, by not being there in person, because you don't get that type of interaction with people that, you know, you do, you're, you can't substitute with Zoom. Um, so for me, that was the biggest thing. And I've invested, I typically only invested in companies that I had met and had a good feeling for who they were. You know, I, I do put stock into my read on people. 
And um, that definitely hurt over the last two years, but it's what we had to do. Um, so yeah, from that perspective, first, it was meeting the people and getting that extra color. Second, you know, it does, you know, when you sit back and think about the sentiment in the sector and where we are in the cycle, it brings home when you go there and you see the actual how many people are there, people's moods, it really gives you a good reflection of what's going on in the market. And uh, if that affects your in, your investment horizon or how you put money into the market, it's definitely one of those things you can't get from a Zoom meeting because you don't know how many other people are there asking questions and this sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, those would be the two biggest takeaways for me is, you know, meeting the people in person and then get a gauge uh, for sentiment. And then, you know, maybe last, I just I really enjoy listening to other people when I go to not company-wise, but other investors that I, I really respect. I got to have lunch with a guy that I, I, I really respect and listen to him talk. And, you know, that otherwise I don't think would have happened. And uh, so that was, that was a big perk for me and something that I wasn't expecting. Um, so it was great from that perspective. You mentioned the uranium booths were getting some love. What about the copper uh, juniors? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's, uh, it was mixed, you know, I think uranium just has, because of what happened last year, it's got that recency bias where people are still, and not that they shouldn't be, but they're still very focused on where they made quick money last year. And, you know, that's good and bad. I, I think a lot of investors would do well to take the exact opposite approach. You know, if something is super hot, um, you know, and you've made your money, that's fine. Keep, keep whatever money is there. Uh, but look at those things that where nobody is and uh, where no one cares or thinks that the outlook is is uh, you know abysmal, and that's probably where you're going to find the best value. And again, these things aren't quick money plays; like you're not going to make money overnight, most likely. Um, but you're going to have the best margin of safety when it comes to placing your money in the market. And in a market like this, um, I think you need to be picky. And I think even those fast money bets, you know, do have more risk than they did last year considering all the things that are going on in the world. And so, you know, you have to match that outlook on the market with what you're investing in and make sure you don't get shaken out in these, you know, tumultuous times. What about uh, quick trades? You know, so many of these juniors, I mean, these explorers have been sold off 80, 90%, some of them. Are there any quick trades that maybe you're looking at in your personal portfolio and maybe not even in the junior stock review portfolio? That's a great question. That's actually something a bunch of guys were asking and, and from my newsletter. And I think it's great because, you know, people are thinking about how to make money, not just necessarily sitting on something. And while I don't do a lot of it, it I definitely do the odd, you know, swing trade. Um, so a couple of things that I would personally look for I, in, in a trade, um, I wouldn't be trading a company that I wouldn't want to own. And meaning that it's most likely going to be a portfolio company that I have or a company that I'm willing to put a significant amount of money in. Um, so if the trade doesn't work out, I'm still happy to hold the shares. Um, second, I also want to look for liquidity. Uh, you need to have uh, a company that, that kind of regardless of the market is still doing a respectable amount of shares. And for perspective, I kind of look for a five times multiple. So if I wanted to take, you know, um, a 10,000 share position and, and possibly trade that, I'm looking for a trade volume of, you know, at least 50,000 on an on a average you know, daily basis. And that way, I'm pretty sure that if it's not over one day, maybe over two days, I can unwind that position if I want to. Or I can also buy that position um, in the same kind of manner in tranches or, or whichever. Um, so I think if you cover those kind of bases 
and you're willing to part with those shares when you hit your price target. I guess that's maybe the third is having a price target. I'm trying to make 10% and actually stick to it. Um, I think the other problem is you get, you know, you buy that company or that shares for uh, a, a trade and then the thing starts going up like you'd hoped. And you think, oh, an extra 5%, when it gets to 15%, I'm going to sell it. And then so often it comes right back, especially in this market where you seem to give your, your gains away, you know, two days later. So if you said 10%, which I think in this market is a really good goal, and it's something that I've used as kind of a, a target, and actually stick to it. So the other thing you can do is as soon as you buy those shares, that 10,000 10, shares, you put a sell order in for 10,000 shares you know, open till whenever, and it's set at that 10% price. And then that way you don't even have to be there to actually input it. And that's something that I've done. And that's something that a mentor had had taught me so that you actually stick to what you had planned. And that's so much of the problem. But you only buy companies you wouldn't mind holding on to. Would that be another? That's me personally. Um, That's me personally. Like I, I would only do with portfolio companies that I, I want to own regardless because again, with this market, especially all the things that are going on, I could see the trades not working, um, or maybe it never hits your sell target. That would be the other thing. So maybe you know you do get the volatility, but maybe the volatility is only spiking to eight percent, and your your sell order doesn't get filled. Um, and so for me personally, I want to just hold shares that I, I are in my core portfolio and not have this outlier. Um, the other side to it is if you if you are interested in in just trading, like there are traders out there, and again, um, I think you have to know yourself and what you're actually looking for. Uh, but if you're looking for trades, look for those companies that are, are are obviously good companies, but they have external promotion kind of built in. Um, silver is a great example. You know, the the silver bull or the amount of people that want to talk about the silver bull is you know probably stronger than uranium is, <laughs> and that's saying something. So if you find some of these silver companies that have really good volumes. And they're good companies, but they have extra. So if there's a conference coming up and you can see presentations that outline the silver thesis, um, that's probably a pretty good trade. And to me, like with the VRIC, um, there was a couple ideas I had. I didn't execute on them, but I wondered if if these, like I was looking through the presentation list, like, you know, this is really good promotion and this could, you know, incite some greed. And uh, again, I didn't follow up on those, but I think, you know, those types of conferences that have the agenda laid out, take a look and there might be something that aligns with how you play the market. And, you know, those are those kind of situations I would look for. Brian, I've been told by other newsletter writers in the sector that uh, I would never recommend this stock to my subscribers, but in my own personal account, I invested in this niche market, right? This niche metal, because I think in the next six months, I can make X amount return. Are you looking at any exotic metals in the in the junior mining space right now? No. no? Okay. <laughs> Copper, <I> gold, <laughs> sticking yeah, with well, the- I, To me, um, liquidity is always the problem. Yeah. And so when you mix in a bad market with low liquidity and a, and a niche metal, um, I think it's, it's the greater dummy theory. You kind of well, have to rely it, on that. <laughs> well, it's tough. It just, it's tough and it's tougher than I think I, it needs to be. Again, if, 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 if a person is looking, investors looking at a certain market and it's niche and it's, um, like I remember somebody talking about niobium and not everybody knows what that is. Like I know what it is because I would come from the steel manufacturing, uh, business and uh, I know that it's used as an alloy and uh, all these, but the market is super, super small. There's probably a couple juniors that have any focus on it, 
Um, and so there's a couple of things. There's not a lot of people that are looking at that metal. The management teams that are, and this is not ubiquitous, and this is not a general, or maybe it's a general statement, but typically you're, the best management teams are going to stick to the bigger commodities. You know, they get the most attention, the most money, um, and that's where they're going to go. So I think to a certain degree, you might be rolling the dice a little bit more on the people too. And with these juniors, because it's so important to have good people running the company, doing the right things, <clears throat> financing at the right times and capitalizing. Um, so, and I've, I've lost money on some of the smaller markets before, and that's probably another factor that has kind of steered me away from trying to capitalize on these things that I might even have some knowledge in. Uh, but in today's market, you know, when you have gold companies, like very, very good gold companies that are selling at a drastic discount of value, run by good people, have cash, um, to me, that's so compelling. And when you do a risk analysis, in my view, it's that's where the money should be headed. But again, it's each their own. You have to know yourself and what you're interested in and what you want to invest in. And if that suits you, then I think that's great. And you know, you're doing yourself a better service if you're listening to yourself um, than necessarily someone else's opinion. So, And that's what you're huge on too, self-awareness. Like every time I talk with you, you're, the only thing you can control 100% of the time is yourself. And you're big on self-awareness as a private investor, aren't you? Well, that's right. And I just know that my biggest mistakes, as far as, as many problems there are in the, the junior resource sector with numerous different things, it's always me that ends up making the mistake or you know holding the, the, the shares too long or buying at the wrong price or, you know, it, it always comes back to me. And uh, or getting caught up in different narratives, like it's so easy to listen to people that are very good at selling or very good at promoting, and you get caught up in this narrative. And you know, maybe the company, maybe you know, you take a look at yourself and you're like, you know what, I should be only investing in production and royalty companies because I don't like the high risk stuff, um, and I know a little bit of a balance sheets, and I understand that business a little bit better. Then you go hear somebody talk about exploration and how sexy it is, and you know, the money you can make and how quick and you get caught up in that. And really what you've done is you've completely gone against who you are as an investor yourself. And while you might be right, or you might be lucky enough to be right once, uh, more often than not, at least in my experience, it comes back to bite you. And uh, yeah, so yeah, absolutely. Being true to yourself, I think is number one. And then everything else kind of flows from that. Have you been told the story? I was told at a conference a couple of years ago that anytime a certain brokerage house or fund managers went and listened to Robert Friedland, the internal policy was you couldn't buy his stock within 24 hours of listening to him talk because he was such a <laughs> persuasive speaker. Have, have you heard that or is that an old wives tale? <laughs> well, I've heard it. I've, I've definitely heard it. And I've listened to Robert speak and yeah. he is phenomenal at uh, putting together uh, a sale or uh, a story. That narrative is, is so important. Um, but, you know, honestly, like what you, what you just said there, you know, waiting 24 hours, that's kind of, I've said that to my kids before, you know, they they make some money doing some work and they want to go buy something. And I've, I've told, especially my oldest, she's, she's going to be 10 this year. And I said to her, you know what, just wait a day, sleep on it. And if you still have to buy whatever it is, then go ahead and do it. You earned that money. Um, and more often than not, she forgets. And that tells you right there that it was an impulse buy. And it really, it's probably a good thing for investors to, to take heed of 
Uh, like for me, like the writing process and putting together my thesis, it takes a while. So um, I don't typically have buyer's remorse because, you know, it takes me a while to come up with that idea and then be sold on it myself. Um, but you can be impulsive in the market and grab shares, you know, after hearing a, a really good speech or, you know, you hear a really good you know, talk on silver or uranium and go out there, I want to buy it all. And typically that's when you're going to make a mistake. And you can see in this market, the best thing about it is you shouldn't be in any rush. Um, let the market come to you. The, obviously, you know, the, the, everything that needs to be there, the sentiment is not there. Um, but I think it will be. Um, but take advantage of this time where you can just pick off the best of the best, do your research, understand the companies, um, and just be methodical about it. Last question. So for this summer, you know, it's in the Canadian markets. A lot of people just go away to the cottages and come back in September. Are you going to be nitpicking using the strategy you just laid out even throughout the summer? Or are you kind of checked out until September? <laughs> no, I'm always checked in. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always, even on vacation or other yeah. weeks, I'm still kind of thinking about stuff. Yeah. Um, the approach I've taken is uh, I've, and I've, I'm going to add to my watch list yep. and, um, I haven't seen really anything yet that tells me I need to buy today, but I need to go through in more detail these companies that I met with PDAC. There, there, there is a couple maybe new ideas, and uh, again, I'm going to be really patient. And if I can let the news again play out and the market not give these companies um, any uh, any. Uh, recon recognition, um, that's even better. And so I can buy things. Yeah, I can sit on the sidelines and wait for news to happen and then potentially buy because even these these good drill results are coming out and it's used as a liquidity event, which for investors sitting on the sideline, if you know those companies, you have a really good watch list and you know where to deploy money when it's when it's time, um, it's, the, it's a great situation. And you know, the, the other side to that is, Bill, I think this market could easily turn at any point too. Um, so as, as negative as things seem, you know, I think there's every reason to be very bullish on the resource sector. And so um, it could change very quick. So if you do recommend these companies, you got to be on your subscription at juniorstockreview.com before you leave. I'll remind new listeners what to find there. Um, so Junior Stock Review, uh, it's a newsletter published every week. Um, I do market comments. Um, I do portfolio review videos. Uh, I rank the companies on a weekly basis and I have buy at or under prices. Um, all these companies are ones that I personally hold in my portfolio. They're ones that I think uh, show the best value. Uh, in the market. That's a big component of, of how I invest. And uh, I think give the investor the most, the best risk to reward. But again, you got to match that to yourself. And there's going to be companies that you may or may not like. But that's that's what I present in Junior Shock Group Premium uh, on a weekly basis. Excellent. Brian, thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you for having me, Bill. Thank you for listening to Mining Stock Education. Please subscribe and share this show with like-minded investors. Connect with us at miningstockeducation.com and sign up for our email list to stay in touch. Much success to you as you learn about, invest in, and profit from mining stocks.
The mining business is one that generates gigantic wealth. You know, a good drill hole that converts might cost fifty or $100,000, and it might discover something worth a couple billion. There is no sector that I know of that has offered up as many predictable circumstances uh, where there was the possibility, certainly not the certainty, but the possibility of 10 for 1 returns as there is in small cap and micro cap mining stocks. Concomitant with that, if you don't do the work, or even if you do do the work and don't discipline yourself on the sell side, there are very few places in the world where you can lose as much money as quickly as in mining stocks too. I just started to study up on mining stocks and I just became fascinated because this is such a tiny sector and it's so volatile that either you could really you could do really really well or you could pretty much get blown out of the water really quickly. The mining sector is a very risky sector. It can take your money very very quickly. Don't fall in love with stocks, don't be overly confident and just do your work as best you can, do your very best, but don't fall in love and don't get too overly confident because um, that's a recipe for disaster. I have met you know, professional retail investors that have made a tremendous amount of money on the junior mining space. Some of them aren't accredited, and they just they spend their days researching, talking to people, being on the phone, being pouring through financial documents, but it requires commitment. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be considered personal legal or investment advice or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or any other product. We make every effort to be accurate, but the information presented is not to be considered infallible. It may contain errors and we offer no inferred or explicit warranty. If personal advice is needed, consult a qualified legal, tax, or investment professional. Do not base any investment decision on the information contained on miningstockeducation.com, our podcasts, or videos. Make sure you always conduct your own own thorough due diligence before investing. Realize that we may hold equity positions in or be compensated by some of the companies we feature and therefore are biased and hold an obvious conflict of interest. For our full disclaimer, please visit our website.